Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circus. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over everything racing. Um, before we get into our discussion, let me introduce you to the panel I have tonight. With me in the studio is Mr. Gray Warren uh, from Richard Childress Racing, Richard Uden, uh, race engineer, Seth Eggert. NASCAR correspondent at Motorsports Tribune, and Christopher DeHardy, IndyCar correspondent over there at Motorsports Tribune as well. How is everybody tonight? Doing good. Doing good, thank you. All right, great to have you all on. So we're coming off of a an off weekend for most of the major motorsports. Uh, Easter weekend, April Fool's Day, you know, we there were some great April Fool's uh, racing jokes and whatnot, but... Um, so, but one of the the bigger things that that I was just thinking about, and I know Seth, you were thinking about it as well. Uh, April first was the day that uh, Alan Kowicki passed away, twenty five years ago. Um, twenty five. It's hard to believe twenty five years have come and gone because it feels like just yesterday. Um, Kowicki had won the cup in ninety two, did it his own way. You know, uh, is one of the, the the sharper guys in there. Had offers from the bigger teams. Uh, did it his own way. Had a great battle. I, I still think that the um, the nineteen ninety two Hooters five hundred at Atlanta was the best the best uh, NASCAR finale I've ever seen. Um, you know, with no chase. Um, but uh, so uh, and there's been some great other podcasts uh, out there, specifically the. Um, the dinner with racers um, that we had all listened to. Uh, but, uh, you know, Alan and what he meant to the sport and, and what he could have done. Now, Seth, um, yeah, you wrote about it. You wrote about it a couple of years ago and reposted a story. But uh, I know you're uh, you're a big Kowicki fan. And, and just, uh, you know, share some thoughts on, you know, what this means 25 years later. Well, I'll admit Kowicki was a little bit before my time. But the point is... Like you said, I was a fan of his in the sense that I went back, I read about him, I watched old video of him racing, and he always insisted on doing things his way. 
He built his own engines. He built his own chassis. He insisted that he basically have perfection. And he won some polls. He had very fast cars. Sometimes they would last. Sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, In 1992, it, it just happened that everything fell into place that he won the championship almost on a tiebreaker, essentially, by leading the most laps. I want to say he led or he won the championship by just five points, if I remember correctly. Uh, And at the start of that season, he didn't even have sponsorship. It was about five or six races into the season that he got sponsorship from Hooters after they moved over to his team when their driver failed to qualify at Bristol. So it is the ultimate underdog, or as he called himself, the underbird story of NASCAR. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Gray, Gray, you were in the sport. Well, you've been in the sport, but you were there through the whole Kowicki time and when he, you know, kind of came into the sport and and uh, he's a little different than, than the rest and went his own way. So uh, uh, you've obviously, you know, your teams have raced against him and whatnot. So uh, what are your some of, some of thoughts of, you know, about Alan Kowicki 25 years on? Well, Alan came along in a time when a privateer could still make it in the sport. You had owner-drivers at that time uh, along in that era. Ricky Rudd comes to mind. Darrell Waltrip comes to mind also. And it was it was at the it kind of at the end of an era when the sport was beginning to change, uh, when it was transitioning uh, a few years later to multi car teams, and Allen came in and took advantage of it. He like like Seth alluded to, he wanted to do it his way. Uh, he had an engineering background, one of the first drivers to come into the sport with and with with such a background. And uh, he was a hands-on guy. He, he, he was hands-on in every aspect of the sport, from dealing with the sponsors, finding money, to working on the car, you know, all the mechanical aspects of the car. He was completely uh, involved in, in, in it all. Um, uh, great competitor, really good driver. Uh, when, when you talk about the, uh, the 1992 title race, uh, you go into that race with uh, really actually three drivers uh, right there that could win it. Had uh, Davey Allison not got taken out in a wreck by um, Ernie Irvin, he more than likely would have would have come along and, and, and won the championship that, that year because he was leading the points uh, going into that race. After, Day, uh, after Davey retired from it, uh, it, it left it up to, uh, to Bill Elliott and, and uh, Alan Kowicki to decide it. And each lap uh, that was led was very important. And uh, Kowicki gambled and uh, stayed out, uh, almost risking running, that, running out of fuel to, to, to garner uh, the laps that he needed to, uh, to win. And he, he, he had one more lap, I believe, than, uh, than Bill Elliott did, and that allowed him to... Uh, to win the championship, and I, I agree with you, Frank. That was probably one of the most uh, uh, compelling uh, championship races uh, that I've ever seen, as well. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny because, you know, with the chase, you've got four guys eligible for the championship. It's like, well, who's ever first of the four is going to win the thing. You, you didn't have the whole bouncing back and forth. That look, let's look at the points as they run and this and that. And that's yeah. a little, little bit of, of high drama that, that's gone from the sport. So, but yeah. um, to some of your other guys' points. Uh, that and you that was the cumulative. Yep. Yeah, go right ahead, Gray. Well, that was, uh, that was the cumulative uh points race that year and uh, in fact uh you go back to the september race at dover um alan wrecked and fell pretty far behind and was able to over the stretch of races through through the uh last half of september october and november was able to capitalize on some of the bad luck of of uh some of the other competitors and and his good fortune and was able to position himself to go come into the to the season finale with with a shot to win, so yeah, it was. Uh, that's just the way it went down. It was it was a it was a great season, and uh, you know he was he was he was ultimately crowned champion, and uh, it just uh, it really, you know, him being able to do that with a small underfunded team as you as you as you uh, would would compare him to the to RCR and uh, some of the other teams back in those days. Uh, you know, um, Penske, RCR, those those teams. He he really accomplished. Oh, and I forget Junior Johnson as well was uh, was a powerhouse in that time too. So yeah, he was able to uh, to to accomplish something that that uh, it, it was very rare and uh, probably we'll never see it uh, again. Yeah. Now, um, and and things that Allen did still kind of exists to this day and Seth you've got a couple words on on Alan's legacy and then what he left behind well some of his legacy is a mix of old and new Uh, he was the first one to really celebrate after a victory doing the Polish victory lap uh, or what he coined as the Polish victory lap when he would turn the wrong way wave to the fans and as he said in his own words, give them something to remember him by. Uh, in 2015, the Kawiki Driver Development Program was founded, and some of its alumni, if I remember correctly, include Ty Majeski, who's running part-time in the Xfinity Series this year, uh, Natalie Decker, who's running full-time in the ARCA Series this year, and I want to say there's one other who's running in the ARCA Series. I, the name... Uh, slips uh, made right now. He's also eligible for the Hall of Fame. Uh, last year, he actually was tied for the last uh, position or basically entry, and after a revote, he was, I think, one percentage point behind. So, And in past years, whenever there's been a tie, that the driver who tied ended up or person eligible for the Hall of Fame has gone in the next year. And this is the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He's already in the International Motorsports Hall of Fame, the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America, and the he is also <clears throat> excuse me, he the alma mater that he went to, uh, <coughs> University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, created a center on campus named after him. Uh, Bristol has uh, suites named after him, and Slinger's Super Speedway, his home track, 
holds the Alan Quickie Memorial every year. Yeah, I just think it's so sad. You know, his death was so sudden, and it was, it was a freak accident. It was, it was an aviation accident uh, within NASCAR travel. I believe they were on the way to Bristol, if I'm not mistaken. That is uh, correct. But when the plane yep. went down, um, you know, and air travel is a part of, of what comes with the thing, but he was, you know, early 93, early in the season, defending his crown. You know, we don't know what, what he might have done. In, in years to come, you know, he, he had he survived that plane crash or had that plane not gone down, he might have won another championship. He, he may still be a team owner. He might be one of the big team owners uh, in this series right now, you know, competing with, uh, with the, you know, the Penske's and Hendricks of the world. But, uh, uh, you know, like they say, the world will never know. And, Chris, to your point, he was the first NASCAR champion with a college education, had an engineering degree. Uh, which yeah, somewhat gave him a, a leg up on the the prior traditionally what you would known as a, a race car guy who was somebody who learned how to learn how to work in a car in the garage with his dad or, or on the farm or whatnot, and he kind of uh, kind of broke the mold of uh, what a NASCAR what a NASCAR guy was. Now, Chris, and I know you you followed Alan with uh, with uh, great respect as well. So, Chris, I want to get some thoughts from you. Yes, uh, we said Alan did it his way uh, at the NASCAR banquet in 1992. He the song that they played him off with was "My Way" by Frank Sinatra, and he actually said you have to use the Frank Sinatra version. So even when they played "My Way," he did it his way. Um, <laughs> the um, the crazy thing about Kowicki with what he did was that when you look at him against the guys that he was racing against. He was racing with basically a third, like what a third of the budget, almost or less than half the budget of um, what the other guys were spending. And other guys maybe had like a hundred full-time employees, and he had like sixteen. So you really had to multitask if you were going to work for him. But the thing with Kowicki was that even though he was notoriously hard to work with for a lot of people, um, once he trusted you, he was practically your best friend. Um, and another thing is that he is now eligible for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He was listed as one of the nominees for the uh, Hall, and fans can actually vote to have him included in the Hall of Fame on NASCARHall.com and NASCAR.com as well. Um, and personally speaking, I plan on maybe you know doing a vote just for the heck of it, but if I can, I'd like to see Alan get in with Davey Allison because those two are massively... Uh, intertwined with how that 92 season ended up and how the 93 season was so tragic yes and there's a hashtag for it ak4 hof the o is lowercase you know and and i tell you he he, both both very deserving and the fact that he's a that he's a former champion uh will carry a lot of weight with the uh with the group that will decide who who is enshrined this time but, uh, you know, Alan was a very driven individual, and like you alluded to, he was difficult to work with, and it was because he was, he was a perfectionist. And I have, uh, you know, I have no doubt that he would have parlayed that, that championship uh, that he won in 1992 uh, to, to greater things. Uh, I would imagine that if he were still alive today, he would probably be, uh, a, a still be a car owner on the level of, of RCR and Penske and Joe Gibbs and, and the like. So uh, I'm sure, you know, he, he was smart with his money, 
He was a good businessman, and uh, I, I feel certain, you know, if we could, you know, look down the road, he, he would be one of, the, uh, one of the forces in our sport today. Yeah, I just remember, you know, just going to the race at Martinsville later in the season, and somewhere along the line there, you know, Jeff Bodine had bought the assets of the Kawiki team. Um, and the, I, I believe it was just like weeks before the, the fall Martinsville race, um, Al Kawiki Racing was bought by Jeff Bodine. And the hauler was there in the, um, in the infield in Martinsville. The, the Hooters logo was spray painted over. The big AK logo was spray painted over, and the spray paint wasn't even thick enough to hide that. And I just remember how sad I felt at that time. You know, Kawiki had just come off this wonderful '92 season, winning the championship, and um, and then, then then here's what's left of it now. And then now, you know, for his for his part, Bodine did well with the team for the next couple of years, but. Uh, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. And age that that whole team and what was the, the beginnings of it, the shop, it's all disappeared, it's all gone. Um, and we just have uh, those memories to cling to. So, but well, uh, the shop, the, the, the original shop is still there, it, it sits behind Charlotte Motor Speedway, right off Moorhead Road. It's the current home of uh, uh, Levine family racing right now. So the, the shop and all is still there. But yeah, I, I recall, uh, I recall the night it happened. Uh, we were, uh, we were getting ready to, uh, you know, uh, some of us getting ready to go to Bristol, uh, in, in the next few days. And when, and when it happened, uh, the word quickly spread. Uh, it wasn't confirmed until, until early morning, uh, that, uh, that he, that there were no survivors in the plane crash. So yeah, it was a very sad time in our sport, and it and Alan's death was was one of the first of several that would come uh, in NASCAR over the next several years. You know, Davy Allison, we lost him uh, uh, shortly thereafter, a few uh, years or so down the road. So yeah, it was a uh, it began some difficult and trying times for the sport. Yeah, it was yeah, it was a tough season. So now, Chris, you've got some comments about DWR. Yeah, so uh, there's a motorsports podcast called Dinner with the Racers, and I know uh, it may not be in our interest to promote another podcast. However, this podcast has a uh, an amazing uh, series of interviews that they've done with a lot of people that were close to Alan. 
uh, including Paul Andrews, his former crew chief, Peter Jellin, who actually drove the truck at Bristol um, that day and drove the one, the two laps around the track and then drove off to uh, the shop. Um, his first car builder, um, a bunch of different, his priest, because Kohoki was extremely, was very religious, um, his best friend, uh, his PR man, he... There were a lot of interviews that they conducted that really told the story of Alan Kowicki, not just the race car driver, but Alan Kowicki, the guy. Um, it's at dinnerwithracers.com, and um, each each interview is a, you know between an hour and fifteen minutes to an hour and forty five minutes. Or so, so if you're driving a long distance, it's worth listening to. Um, and they did a little thirty minute documentary where they took some excerpts and um, made a little video out of it. Very well done. I highly recommend it uh, to anyone who wants to look at some quality content regarding Alan Kowicki. Good stuff, Chris. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that. And uh, you know, oddly enough, so Kowicki's first win was at Phoenix. Um, the IndyCar Series is going to race at Phoenix this week, and Phoenix is also celebrating an event that happened 25 years ago, um, and that is the last win for this kid from Pennsylvania named Mario Andretti. You guys heard of him? He's from Italy. <laughs> no, well, you know, modern-day Turkey, yeah, but uh, now he grew up in Pennsylvania. He's from Italy, yeah. His last IndyCar win at 53 years, 53 years old, wasn't Phoenix, 93. He had this uh, hotshot teammate that came on board when uh, the teammate was his own kid. His own kid went over to race in Formula One in 93. So they got Nigel Mansell. Um, and I know, Richard, you probably remember him because you're British. Once uh, or twice, so, yeah. Once or twice, yeah. So uh, Mansell actually had a had a crash prior to Phoenix. He did, uh, yeah. Broke his back, didn't he? Broke his back, was was unable to race. and Put a hole in the wall. Put a yeah. hole in the wall, big hole. Mario's last IndyCar win um, and it was a pretty good win, held off Paul Tracy. Uh, but they're going to celebrate that this coming weekend when the IndyCars return to Phoenix. So, uh, guys, Mario Andretti, you heard of him? Any good stuff? To it's say easy about to hold him? off Paul Tracy when Paul Tracy crashes. I actually, so I actually watched that race uh, recently uh, with a few friends of mine on on the internet. And Tracy was so, so dominant that day. He actually had the entire field. It was a 200-lap race. He had the entire field lapped by lap 42. He actually had the field lapped twice until, you know, by the time he had his incident late in the race. Um, He was getting ready to put another lap on Jimmy Vassar going into turn one. And um, he backed out. And the way that he had backed out heading into the corner, it upset the car. Spun, hit the wall in the first turn, and some of the debris damaged uh, Emerson Fittipaldi's car, his teammate. Uh, on the very next restart, Fittipaldi goes into turn three, loses the back end of his car, and he crashes. And uh, that gave Mario the lead uh, late in the going, and Mario would not be headed off that day. Um, now, for that particular race, Paul Tracy had so much of a lead over a lot of other cars that he didn't actually he finished he ended up finishing 16th with 161 laps completed so he he still did decently he almost finished in the points but he only he got he did get one point for i think it was leading the most laps well golly thanks for like ruining it no. <laughs> <laughs> just what i, I did I, 
I, I I watched it and I remember it well, and I do I do know that 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 win kind of fell into Mario's lap, but deservedly so. You know, Mario has raced hard for a lot of wins, um, and he, he's won a lot of races. But uh, you know, you and I both know that uh, you know you win some, you lose some, and sometimes the prize falls into your lap. Um, it had been a couple of years since Mario had won. Um, one year later, he would announce his Arrivederci Mario uh, farewell tour. Um, but this is the only guy to win races in, in 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Right? I believe you're correct. Six, 60s through the 90s. He was a rookie at Indianapolis in 1965. So the, the four decades. But still, that's an amazing accomplishment. His last win before... Um, that race, I believe, was 1988 at uh, Cleveland, if I remember right. He also won at Phoenix in 88, I believe, as well. Yes, 88, yep. And one of the things going on at Phoenix, they're going to celebrate Mars. They're going to have his four um, race-winning cars on display from 1966, 67, 88, and then the 93 Newman Haas Lola in that lovely uh, Kmart uh Texaco uh, livery will be there on display and on the track. They're going to go ahead and, and run it for a couple laps. So, um, you know, with that being said, so IndyCar is going to be in Phoenix this weekend. And, and Marco is going to be running in a vintage livery as well. He's going to run in the same kind of a scheme that Mario had for his last win. Yes, with a, he's got a vintage helmet as well that matches Mario's helmet. So uh, a lot of good stuff coming to Phoenix this weekend. But uh, before we get into a Phoenix preview, there actually was a race this past weekend. Not a major race, but a Formula 3 race. And uh, it's only big in the news because Billy Monger, who the young uh, British guy who's uh, lost both his legs in a Formula 4 accident last year, this is his first race back in, made the podium. Richard, um, you got a chance to see it. Um, you know, it's big in your country. Let, let's talk about Billy Monger um, driving that car with the hand controls and and the implications of this and beyond. Yeah, I mean, British Formula 3 is, is sort of the breeding ground for these guys uh, coming through. I mean, if you, you look at a list of who's won the championships out there, it's, you know, pretty much all of them at some point have either driven Formula 1, IndyCar, Le Mans, DTM, you know, these are... These are top guys that come through this series. So for, for Billy Monger to go out there and, and get a podium on his first race back, um, you know, bar, bar nothing else, is impressive. You know, you, you have to have serious talent to get a podium in one of these cars, you know, period. The fact that he's done this, for the first time he's driven in a race in nine months, and the fact that the poor kid here has, has lost both of his legs and come back and done that easy. Is astronomical. I mean, it, you really, you know, talk about comeback. Um, it's fantastic. It really is, and shows you know the determination of this kid ahead of anything else. Well, not, um, not to mention the fact that he's driving with a whole different style because he's using his hands with the hand controls to sure. do stuff he's used to be doing with his feet, and he's he's kind of mastered this quite quickly. Um, I know yeah. he's probably had a lot of simulator work with this one, sure. but, but this is the first time in a competitive nature with the car, and I, I he's think, on the podium. I think what you tend to find is that these guys who are 
undoubtedly naturally talented. If they put their mind to it long enough, they can adapt to a situation like that. And you know, again, this is by no means trying to diminish his achievements here. But I think that if you give them a challenge to overcome something like that, you know, pretty quickly they can adapt and they can train their muscle memory to, you know, change how the brain and their output tools, basically their hands, control the car rather than their legs. So, so my understanding is that the throttle is st- is on a hand control, um, but the brake is still a mechanical brake pedal that he actuates with... Um, this sounds terrible, sorry. What remains of his lower leg. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... It's a bit like, in a way, sometimes, when you see, like, I don't know, a, a golfer turn around and, you know, he's normally right-handed and he hits a shot left-handed. You know, these guys are good enough and talented enough that they could probably learn how to sort of swap, you know, right hand, left hand, and eventually, you know, be pretty competitive because they just have that natural ability and that natural talent to, um, you know, convert their what you know their input into their brain into an output through through a hand or a foot or whatever it may be to be competitive. It's it's pretty remarkable and it's a testament to how how these guys work and how their brains work to, to achieve what they do. Okay, now I want to bring up a conversation that we had off the air earlier, okay? And there's a rule somewhere, and I, I really have been trying to find the verbiage of the rule, and I can't quite come up with it, that a driver has to be able to exit the cockpit under his own power within a certain amount of time, which I believe is 10 seconds uh, just as a safety means, and and I don't know if this applies to Billy's situation or not, or if he was able to, uh, if he was, and and we had to talk about this earlier. So let's get that conversation going again. Um, you know, this has been dramatized in a in a movie or two, but you know, movies are not real life. But obviously, <laughs> Billy was able. Driven to... is totally real life. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but um. No, Billy was obviously able to start this race. He, you know, had the the blessing of the the FIA or whoever, so whatnot. So, but uh, is this? I mean, what does this mean for you know drivers going forward in the sport with disabilities and you know major disabilities in uh, in, in Billy's case here? And we, you know, we've seen guys like Zanardi who races in um, the BMW series. Uh, with the hand controls as well, um, is, I mean, what's the, um, I, I don't know exactly what the rule is, um, but obviously these guys are in a car, they're doing well. Um, what does this mean for the future of the sport, Richard? Yeah, I, I'm not exactly uh, 100% certain on the, the exact word, wording of the of the rules, but you're right, there is a... Um, sort of test, for want of a better word, that drivers have to to pass before they are given a, a medical approval to, to race. Um, I believe when Michael Schumacher broke his leg back in 99, I think he could have potentially returned um, to a race, one or two races earlier, but he couldn't extract himself from the car unaided, as the rule, rule states. Um, now, that is the FIA uh, rule, the uh, British Formula 3 Championship 
I think it is um, affiliated to the FAA. I don't think it falls under the FAA sanctioning body. Uh, I know the the points from those races and championships can be uh, approved for super license purposes, but I don't think it control it. So it's the British Racing Drivers Club, which oversees the British Formula 3 Championship. Now, a lot of the, especially the safety rules um, that series like the British Formula 3 impose are carried over from the FIA. So it'd be interesting to know exactly what that ruling is and that terminology is. Um, but, you know, sometimes it is more than, you know, people have the, the opinion, well, you know, it's up to the driver. You know, if a driver can't get himself out of the car, then that's his problem, you know, which is a little bit of a sort of ignorant viewpoint. And I haven't said, you know, you do in these events have marshals and volunteers and then these guys do put themselves at risk and, and at danger. Uh, you've seen in Formula One in the last 20 years, there's been at least two marshals killed, uh, if not more. So, you know, these guys, you know, the volunteers that go out every 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 week to to help these kids in these races, you know, you've got a responsibility to those guys as well. So, you know, if these guys can overcome these disabilities and, you know, extract themselves safely from a and get into a safe position, then I don't see there's an issue there. Um, you know, the society as a whole, you, you see the increased exposure to stuff like the Paralympics and the, and the Winter Paralympics we've had recently. It's great for these people who have, some of them have gone through unimaginable difficulties and, you know, to, to get to where they are is a huge testament to their character, far more so than able-bodied athletes in many, many ways. Uh, so they need to be encouraged and motorsport cannot be seen to sort of discriminate against them or push them back. And if these guys can, you know, at the end of the day, sort of look after themselves, but you, you've got to try and remove these barriers. If they can look after themselves, they're not a danger to their other competitors. They're not a danger to, we may have to put themselves in a dangerous position to help get them out of a car. Then I think they need to be encouraged um, as much as anybody. Um, and I think, you know, this, Billy's setting a fantastic example um, for, 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 for people who have gone through these terrible uh, ordeals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and now Seth, you've got a couple of parallel stories uh, from NASCAR. We talked about earlier, you know, with uh, with uh, Dale Jr. with a concussion and a few other stories. So, if you would chime in on this conversation, that'd be great. Well, I vaguely remember uh, in two thousand two thousand three, after Dale Jr.'s first concussion, which came at Fontana. Uh, they Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
winner. And mentioned on the broadcast the next week that before Junior could run practice laps, he had to show that he could get out of the car on his own. They didn't really go into that much detail or if there was a specific amount of time that they had to do it. But uh, NASCAR has similar rules. Uh, I do remember also in NASCAR, uh, Ernie Irvin, after his second near-fatal accident, uh, before his comeback, he tested a car at Daytona months before he was approved. And the reason why he wasn't approved is because doctors weren't sure, A, that he could take the G-forces, or B, after running several laps, would be coherent enough to get out of the car. And the way they did that, uh, after Dale Jarrett tested the car, he went to the hauler with his helmet on and fire suit. Uh, about five minutes later, Ernie Irvin walked out with his helmet and fire suit on, and nobody could tell the difference because they were both wearing full face helmets. <laughs> so you could nice. make it up, could you? <laughs> I was going to say that's that's a great story. I'd never heard that one before. It, it was Daytona testing. I want to say it was 1996 or 97. I'm not entirely sure the year. Uh, but, again, it was just in testing. And it was about five or six months later uh, that Ernie made his official return in a truck race at, I want to say it was either Martinsville or North Wilkesboro. And... Uh, There are a handful of other stories of uh, drivers with disabilities. Uh, Michael Johnson, as we were talking before uh, the show, who ran in uh, US F2000 and Pro Mazda. And someone I followed, uh, Ashley Fielek, who is deaf uh, in X Games and Motocross, from 2008 to 2012, the five years she was competitive, she won four championships and two gold medals in X Games. What sidelined her was three concussions in the course of a year and a half. Uh, but there are drivers who do have some disabilities here and there. The stories are few and far between, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, I tweeted out after Billy Monger's uh, uh, podium finish that if he isn't an inspiration or an inspirational athlete, I don't know who is. Oh, uh, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great inspiration. And I remember, you know, uh, I guess it was uh, two years ago, uh, watching Zanardi in the uh, Paralympics with his uh, taking his second gold in the, the, the wheelchair race and thing there and just uh, you know I, I, the tremendous upper body strength he's gained from not having you know lower extremities um, and I kind of paralyzed when I saw Billy Monger getting himself in the car and, and Billy's only been you know legless for, for less than a year uh, where he was able to, to kind of put himself in that car I, I feel like he could probably pull himself out of that car but uh, but Chris your point or Chris um, you and I uh, follow IndyCar racing rather closely, and the um, the safety team in IndyCar, they are so quick on the scene. 
They're so yeah, quick that... there when something happens. I mean, is this you have to get out of the car under your own power? Is this necessary this day and age when the safety teams are so quick to run? They're right there. Honestly, not really as much because, I mean, at Indianapolis, the safety team is often rolling before the car has even come to a full stop. You know, Jack Harvey discovered that perilously in, in this past year's Indy 500 when he actually almost hit a uh, safety truck while he was spinning. Um, other thing is that there have also been drivers with uh, disabilities in IndyCar racing as well. Um one particular driver uh, of note is a guy named Cal Nide, who drove in the 1950s at Indianapolis and actually hit the wall um, during the 1955 race. Um, funny enough, in one of the blind spots in the track where the radio couldn't uh, get to, um, he lived in Hawaii in the later part of his life. But uh, yeah, he was one of the few uh, one-legged drivers that actually drove in Indianapolis. And if you think about it, right, if you're if that driver, you know, whether they're able bodied or disabled, right, if they're in a wreck, they may not be able to get out of the car on their own power anyway, right? I mean, was Hinchcliffe able to get out of the car on his own power when he had his years ago? Was Bourdais able to get out of the car under his own power? No, but the safety team was right there uh, to tend to him. So why would it be different for somebody who? Has some disabilities going into thing. I don't know. It's just it's just food for thought. Absolutely. Let's preview this week this week of racing. Um, Formula One is in Bahrain. IndyCar is in Phoenix. Uh, NASCAR is in Texas. Uh, let's start with Formula One, Richard, and give you uh, okay. give you some props. Uh, let's talk about Bahrain. We saw the opening race of the season was won by Ferrari. Mercedes wasn't very far off. Mercedes probably should have won. Uh, what should we look for in Bahrain? Yeah, I think without you know, even even the greatest Ferrari fanatic must uh, must admit that uh, Mercedes probably did have the uh, the beating of them there in Melbourne. And I think in all fairness, you're going to see a lot of the same again this uh, this coming weekend. You know, you're still in the flyaway stage of the season, so you're not going to see huge upgrades for any of the cars. Maybe the odd tweak here or there, but you're not going to see any big leaps by any of the manufacturers um, until you get to, to, to Barcelona at the start of the European season. So I think you'll see a lot of, you know, uh, as we've as we've already seen so far, I would, I, I fear that you're going to get another processional race, for want of a better word, similar to, similar to Melbourne, Bahrain's not the greatest overtaking circuit in the world. Um, turn one, turn two, then that run out to turn three can get a little bit feisty. Um, but again, you, you're not going to see a huge amount, I don't think. Uh, so it's going to be very similar to Melbourne in many ways. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty much the same as we saw uh, two weeks ago in Melbourne. I think uh, Mercedes is going to be the class of the field, and it's their race to lose rather than anybody else to win. And so how do you feel like our American friends, uh, the Haas team, are going to do, provided they can, you know, put the wheels on the car properly in a pit cool. Because they they were they were darn strong. Um, they were, you know, only behind uh, Ferrari and, and uh, Mercedes, and they were heading the Red Bulls. I mean, can we see a podium for, uh, 
for the Haas team, provided we uh, the pit set problems out, or um, I think they were they were probably ahead of Red Bull more on they were. I don't think they were ahead of Red Bull on raw pace. I think if the Red Bull hadn't, if Daniel Ricciardo hadn't had his issue during qualifying or practice and had that penalty, and Max Verstappen hadn't had the uh, damage to his car, which supposedly resulted in him spinning out and losing a few spaces there. I would expect it, the, those Haas cars will be, what does that leave them, 7th, 8th. You know, the best of the rest still. Uh, McLaren may push them, Renault may push them, but uh, as I say, you're not going to see huge upgrades to any of these cars uh, yet uh, at this stage of the season, so I don't think you're going to see any great, great leaps um, in, in the pecking order. So they'll be there or thereabouts. I think I'll say yeah, I expect both of those cars to make it into Q3. Uh, and they'll be strong again. I think the uh, some of the words coming out, or some of the noises coming out of that team, you know, how Gene Hass has been pushing them and how he's been sort of leading the team there, I think is, is good. I think it's going about it the right way. You know, everybody's seen those iconic pictures of, of Grosjean going around uh, his mechanics post-race and the guys that were responsible for the, the pit stop failures. You know, you win as a team and you lose as a team. Um, so you, you've got to take that into consideration. Um I doubt you'll see the uh, the Haas team at the top of the pit stop charts uh, come come Sunday evening. I think they'll be pretty slow and deliberate about it, but uh, um, they've got the pace, I think, to to match where they were in Melbourne. I wouldn't expect to see too many changes. All right, so you're predicting a Mercedes-Ferrari podium? I would have thought so, yes. I can't see any reason why it wouldn't. Christopher, do you have any opposing viewpoints to that? Um, I think it would take, um, a decent amount of change to get Haas up there. I mean, let's face it, when you have a double retirement because of a, a crew malfunction like that, it's, it, it can be really, really damaging to your spirit, unless, of course, you can just mentally kind of push it in the rearview mirror. Um, although I will say this, I think that if they do manage to get a great result, um, in Bahrain, like a... Let's just let's just the heck with it. Let's say that the entire uh, F1 world goes crazy and they get a podium. Um, I think you'll see a nice party out of uh, out of Bahrain for those guys. <laughs> and you might hear some uh, some uh, great music. Do the hustle. Do the hustle. Yeah. I I just feel like these flyaway races before we get back to the to the center of the format are their best chance to to do something. Oh, without doubt. Yeah, we'll, without we'll, we'll doubt. So, um. but you, you know, you, you you look at Bahrain again, and it'd be interesting to see how it gets, um, you know, handled, especially by the new owners. Because yeah, going off on a on a tangent here a little bit, um, you know, this is one of these sort of Bernie races, isn't it? That was sort of gone out to these oil-rich countries out in the, uh, you know, in the Gulf states. And you really have to ask the question, what does it bring to, to Formula 1? Especially with Bahrain having a, how should we put this tactfully, a questionable human rights um, history. Um, is that somewhere that Formula 1 really needs to be associated with? Um, well, to be fair, Formula 1 was in South Africa during the 70s and 80s oh, and 90s. But this is under a new ownership now. You know, do Liberty, are they going to make a stand to this? Are they going to 
they want to be this sort of family-friendly media brand that, you know, uh, everybody loves. Um, do you want to, uh, you know, how seriously do you think they'll take this? Are we looking at getting out of China as well? Well, I, who, I mean, who knows? I, I think you have to be in China because of the, you know, from a, it's one of the largest countries in the world. And yes, you, you obviously, again, yeah, um, you know, but, but the only reason you're in Bahrain is because of the money. They don't, they, they're not one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world. Obviously, they have a lot of money from the oil producing aspect of it. But, uh, yeah, you know, would you rather see a race at, goodness me, this isn't exactly a country with a great record at the moment, Turkey, around Istanbul, Istanbul Park, which is undoubtedly a far better track than Bahrain. Um, or, I mean, we're going back to Manicor, but, you know, securing you know, the French Grand Prix, securing the German Grand Prix, going to proper heartland races that will sell out. I mean, you know, you could hold a race in Hockenham and you get 200,000 people there in a heartbeat. Um, you, know, you don't get that in Bahrain or China or places like that. Having a full spectator crowd, you know, does help. Um, although, from what I've heard, you know, by moving the race to a night race in Bahrain, it has helped ticket sales. Um which is good. I mean, I think Formula One did a right move in Bahrain by making it a night race. I think it looks, it's yeah. frankly a lot better. Um, so that might be a reason why it stays on the calendar, uh, honestly. Yeah. I mean, they've obviously invested a lot of money to put those, uh, um, you know, lighting up and everything. So they're going to want a return on that investment. But uh, it'd be, if I remember it'd be right, that company that did it is Musco Lighting, which also did the lighting over at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. Okay, yeah. So there is a Charlotte connection all the way around the world. I know. Yeah. To the back, um, Musk is actually based out of Iowa. Oh, but they okay. I'm with you. <laughs> right, but the Musk takes care of most of the NASCAR tracks. So, all right, one quick round of table. Everybody gets a pick for Bahrain, and then we're going to preview uh, NASCAR at Texas. Gray, I'm going to give you the first pick for the Formula One race. Uh, I'm going to say Hamilton. All right, Seth. Uh, Vettel. Chris? Uh, well, since he said Vettel, I'll say Raikkonen. And Richard? Uh, Bottas. <laughs> and who'd you leave me to pick? Uh, Alonzo. <laughs> I pick Alonzo for fifth. Off. Pick Alonzo for rains, fifth place. Oh, wait, yeah, so. yeah. All right, if it so, rains, uh, that could be a good show. Yeah. All right, guys, so, uh, Formula One is um, in Bahrain, going to be on what ESPN two in the middle of the night on Saturday, or it'd be I think about early Sunday morning. Would it be about early Sunday what, morning, seven eight o'clock Sunday morning? All right, we'll see. Uh, so, uh, so NASCAR is going to be at Texas. Um, Gray, what are we going to look for in Texas when uh, NASCAR comes to uh, this one point five mile oval? What like? we're going to look, we're going to look to see if who is going to come to the forefront and dominate the race. Will it be, will it be the seventy-eight or will it be uh, a car from uh, Stuart Haas? If we're following trends that uh, that have been uh, showing up uh, so far this year, it uh, we 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 don't know which. I would say one of those two teams will uh, 
will prevail. And I and throw in the throw in the eighteen in there too because he's been right there knocking on the door. But I think it's uh, I think these races will be no different from the other mile and a half we've already run this year, and it's we're going to see uh, see it come down between uh, probably Harvick and uh, Truex and Kyle Busch to decide the uh, the winner. All right, and Seth, your comments are? Well, don't forget about the Chevrolets. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying that, although they haven't really been there the first six races of the year, uh, I don't know what the situation is at Richard Childress Racing, but I do know for some of the Chevy teams, they have only had a handful of cars to work with. Uh, Tad Schefter, for example, of JTG Doherty Racing, uh, he said that there wasn't enough sheet metal provided by Chevrolet at first to go around to all the teams before the West Coast swing. So they have been behind the eight ball a little bit with not having enough cars to really adjust to uh, essentially work with at the track. So I expect Chevrolets to basically come around and run better starting at Texas, maybe even next week at Bristol. So is there a particular Chevrolet car that you think is going to come to the forefront? Maybe old Kyle Larson? Well, you know, Kyle Larson has really been the standard bearer for Chevrolet so far. I mean, you you can throw out the the Daytona 500 because that's a a race all into itself. But, you know, once we leave Daytona and get into uh, the downforce tracks uh, is where – the Ford dominance and, and, of course, and Truex dominance in California has, has come to the front. I think Chevrolet is a little bit behind the eight ball. They, they're going to work, and obviously I think they will get better as, as the year go, goes on. I think right now, really, we've, we've seen some glimpses from the nine car. Uh, he, he's run well at times, and, and obviously the 42. But uh, they really, and Jimmy Johnson, I, you know, he hasn't shown much uh, – much speed in that 48 so far uh, this year. I think he's got about what maybe one top ten so far. I do think I do think they'll get they'll get better as we go along. It's just gonna it's gonna take a little bit of time to develop this new car. And uh, they, you know, Seth could be right. They sh- they could show a little bit more this weekend at uh, at uh, Texas. But I tell you what, it's gonna be hard to go against what we've seen from. Uh, from the four team and the and the seven, the eight, the eighteen so far in the season, those guys are uh, on a roll. And just another thought on that, uh, like you said, we haven't really seen much from Jimmy Johnson or Hendrick in general. Uh, going into Texas, Hendrick Motorsports has the same number of top tens as Paul Menard. Okay, so that's a bad thing. Hands right? up on who predicted that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and look at look at this too. I, I tell you, you you got to look at where Hendrick, where Hendrick Motorsports is at right now. Uh, they've got a very young team. Obviously, you know, you've got seasoning and, and, and Johnson and and, uh, and uh, Chase Elliott, uh, Eric Bowman. Uh, I mean, the, the Bowman kid. That's going to take. Uh, that's going to take a Alex Bowman. I'm sorry. They're gonna, it's going to take a little while for that team to, to gel uh, and come together. And I tell you, the the, the William Byron thing, um, I tell you, that's going to that's going to be a a project all year long. Uh, 
he has not fared very well. Uh, and, I, and quite frankly, I'm not surprised uh, that he's not had run too well in Cup. I mean, that's a, that's a different thing. I, I thought all along that they probably rushed uh, him to Cup maybe a, a year too early. He could have he could have benefited from another year seasoning in the Xfinity Series. But they'll they'll take their lumps as as they go throughout the course of the year. He'll be better for it in the long run, but it's going to be a it's going to be a tough road for those guys in the in the twenty four this year. Absolutely, yeah, I, I agree with you that William Byron could have used one more year before he's up to cut. But man, the kid was hot, and uh, the price was right for the team. So uh, <laughs> so. Uh, Go around the table. Picks for um, picks for Texas. I'm gonna start with you, Richard. Chase Elliott and Chris. Uh, Keselowski. All right, Seth. Truex and Gray. Harvey. And I'm gonna go with. Um, I don't know, man. Kurt Busch. Go with the other uh, Tony Stewart car. So um, now we've got a few minutes left to talk about IndyCar coming to Phoenix. Um, now IndyCar came back to Phoenix in 2016 after a 11-year layoff. Uh, the last two races have not produced great racing. Chris, you'll agree with me on that. The racing was okay, but it was not great. There was a. Uh, it's hard to pass, but. Uh, if if the the test data from uh, from the late winter test is anything to uh, kind of like hold on to something to, uh, we may be able to see some actual passing, some actual cars be able to run behind one another without the wake of all that aerodynamic stuff coming off. So, uh, what are you what are your thoughts on what we're going to see in Phoenix? Can we can we build this race up? Can we save it? Can we keep it on the schedule? Can we build the crowd? Chris, what are your thoughts? I think we can uh, keep it on the schedule, but it's going to be difficult because when they made the modifications to it, they made it much more of a NASCAR track instead of the traditional open-wheel background that it had when they made all the changes to it. Um, I think having less downforce will ultimately help. Chris, the changes to the track... Uh, are, are going to be largely in November. This is this is going to be the last race on the current Phoenix layout. I think you if know? I remember right, all they're doing is just changing the location of the start finish line, yeah, the, right? The 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 uh, the, uh, the uh, front stretch is now going to be the back stretch. The finish line is going to be between turn one and the dog leg. So the the configuration of the track doesn't change. So I, I'm not sure what you're going after where they've made it. A well, when, when they when they changed it a couple of years ago. I mean the 20, 2010 progressive banking. That whole had, deal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they changed the uh, dog leg on the back. That's right, what go, I was referencing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was saying, that's what, that's what I was referencing. Um, it, it made it un- more unfriendly to open wheel. Um, I'm hoping that they can make it more open wheel friendly. Um, but it's it's kind of a rough ask, considering that it is an ISC track. Um, but I hope that we get a lot better racing because the fans deserve it. 
after not having had that track there for that or that track on the schedule for that long. Not to mention, IndyCar needs that that region of the country. They need the they need the Southwest. Yes, absolutely. Frank and you know, and I think too maybe you know with with with, with when they did make the changes to uh, to Phoenix, they had to kind of they they tried to compromise and and make it a because the NASCAR races were somewhat lackluster, uh, and they tried to to improve that and 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 probably were I agree maybe a little bit to the detriment of, of, of the Indy cars, but uh, we won't know what, what what this new package will do when when they go out there. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. Uh, what were your impressions when they tested out there? Um, decently uh, impressed, although there is still a little bit of a difficulty in getting the cars to actually pass each other. Um, I'm wondering just for the heck of it, if this, the, there's one that I think that they didn't get right is maybe they should have put more emphasis on underbody downforce than top body. Um, one thing that made the kart car so much easier to get around was that they developed a ton of their downforce from the underfloor of the car, um, which I think that if they went back to having more and more downforce from the underside of the car, it would help to make, be less reliant on the top side, which would make it easier to pass. Yeah, so do you that, think that you think they'll develop this car more as the year goes or as the year goes forward? They 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 will help the you know the sanctioning body will help these cars. I th- maybe not some, this year, maybe not this changes? year, but I would say next year possibly. Next year possibly would be uh, the year that they would do a major change like that. Yeah, I mean, this year we'll see how it performs at every track. Uh, you know, on the on a short oval, on a long oval, on a super speedway, on a road course, uh, we'll see how it works. But they they've taken a ton of downforce off of the top of the car and put a lot of it back under the car. Not not to the um, degree we had in the cart cart era, but um, I, you know, I honestly I think we'll see a better race than last year. Unless it turns out to be a shit show where people are crashing left and right, and that that could seriously be the case, but we won't know till we get them all on the track and see. So, um, how many? What are we looking at for a field out there? Twenty four cars. Twenty three. There's twenty three. Twenty three okay. cars right. starting the race. Yep. So, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I was reading Seth's comments about the, the radius of the turn. So, but I think I think uh, this is probably. Of the three Phoenix races since uh, we've returned, this is probably going to be the best. Uh, the first two were not great. Um, just because the package didn't agree with it, so we'll have to see. And um, but that's a that's a like you know to your point, Gray. That's a market IndyCar needs, and mm-hmm. let's just hope that they. And that's a track that has a long open wheel history. That track was purpose built for open wheel racing. In 1964, the first winner was AJ Foyt. So, you know, one one other thing too that 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 will bode well for both IndyCar and NASCAR. Some of the things that they're they're going to go forward with, some of the amenities that they're going to bring to the track in the future, will be good for all race fans. So, hopefully, you know, if if, if they if IndyCar can have a really good show this time and. Uh, and, and build some momentum 
when they go back again, you know, with a good race under their belt, along with these amenities, uh, these new amenities that they're adding to the track, maybe, uh, you know, they can they can grab a more firmer toehold out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the plans for the new track are fantastic. I, You know, when, um, when NASCAR Cup rolls back around for the uh, chase race later in the season, everything will be in place. And it's just the, the, everything I've seen, all the plans, it looks absolutely beautiful. Yeah, we're reconfigured. They're not really reconfiguring track. They're just changing, you know, the, uh, the old front stretch. Superfluous things. Yes, yeah, but yeah, but, well, you know, you know, Gray, you and I saw that in Darlington years ago, back in the nineties. They moved the, uh, they switched the back stretch and the front stretch, and yep. put, put new grandstands there. Um, yeah, and well, you know, Phoenix has come a long way from my first uh, first trip to Phoenix. I remember when we would arrive at the racetrack, and we had to be really careful walking around through the garage area, setting up the cars and moving trash cans. You had to look under trash cans and other things for rattlesnakes before, you know, when we were, we were out there early on. So that, that, that has changed a little bit. But one other thing I wanted to bring to was, as, as it pertains to IndyCar, I saw this week where they talked about Laguna Seca. Uh, they're gonna the new owners out there, the new people that are gonna take over the track are gonna change the direction of the track. And I didn't know whether you know what that might be on IndyCar's radar to return there. Nothing on IndyCar's radar right now, but we'll have to see how the new owners uh, do with it. I so, thought that uh, was a April Fool's joke, though. Yeah, yeah, it was what, absolutely. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Was it no, <laughs> I mean, I fell. I tell you what, I fell for it, hook, line, sinker, because I, the track map and everything, everything there. So yeah, but they uh, um. The funniest April Fool's joke this year was Harding Racing announced that Allen Jr. would be competing in the Indy 500 this year, and I think for me what what put the icing on the cake was that Allen Jr. did not know that they were that uh the team put that release out actually. <laughs> Although this is just um, my own personal opinion. The best ever motorsports April Fool's Day prank was what I Racing did in 2016 when they announced Dirt was coming to the service. And the reason why that was so great to me is because that they were actually serious about it, and no one believed them until a couple of months later when they showed a video of um, what they were doing with Dirt. And everyone was like, whoa, they were actually serious. So it really wasn't a fool's joke, was it? So. Well, it, it was great that they announced it on that day because, you know, how many people are going to take you seriously? They had done a different April Fool's Day jokes before um, to, you know, varying degrees of success. No, they had they had several out there this year. I mean, of course, I fell for the one on Laguna Seca, and then of course there was the there was the electric car thing with NASCAR. NASCAR going I, electric. There yeah, was the, the uh, electric. Yeah, and then, the, and then Frank the, had then what, Frank had his. Yep, and and Weck, Weck is going to mandate the halo for the sports cars. And, that was uh, funny. And there was one on a British British website that's going to Alonzo and. Um, not Alonzo, but rather Hamilton and Vettel were going to switch teams. Yeah, a lot of good fun April Fool stuff. But, guys, we are just about out of time. So, <coughs> excuse me. We have enough time for everybody to make a pick for the IndyCar winner in Phoenix. And I'm going to start with you, Richard. Bourdais. Bourdais. Okay, Seth, you're next. 
Uh, I'll say Andretti. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see Marco Andretti winning that uh, throwback livery back to his granddad's car. And exactly Gray, why I'm picking it. Yes, yes. Gray, who do you like for Phoenix IndyCar? The defending champion, New Garden. All right. Christopher? I'll say Ed Jones, and if Sebastian wins, he'll be he'll be Sebastian Bournight. <laughs> okay, oh. that's like he a real Sebastian bad pun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blah yeah, blah 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 blah, blah blah blah. I'm gonna say Scott Dixon wins this thing, and uh, with that being said, <laughs> I want to say good night to uh, you, Gray, Seth, Richard, Chris. I want to say good night to you, viewers, listeners, rather. For tuning in. Thank you to Hoobazoo Radio Network. Thank you to iHeartRadio. Thank you to Spreaker for uh, carrying us. Uh, guys, have a great racing week. We'll talk to you in seven days. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.